midterm elections are over. There was a clear choice, democracy or autocracy. The people have spoken. And although there is much to be done, the propensity to promote fear and disinformation have been called out and challenging these dogmas ensues. The holidays are here and it's time for another episode of First Online with Fran's There's No Place Like Art. I'm Fran, your humble host and facilitator of raising hope and good cheer. You know, we live in a time dominated by pessimism and cynicism. These poses are a kind of armor against the vulnerability of hope. New York Times columnist Lydia Polgreen wrote in her October 30th, 2022 op-ed piece, What My Father's Death Taught Me About Living, is that to be cynical is to close the door to the possibility of disappointment. To be pessimistic is to foreclose the risk of being made a fool by optimism. This resonated with me as an artist, activist, educator, and now author. I am a dreamer and an optimist. And like Paul Green, sometimes to an absurd and even dangerous degree. But a bias toward the vulnerability of hope, that's a true gift. I believe that what I do can actually make some kind of change. My guest today is a treasured gift, friend, colleague, and fellow mischief maker, <laughs> Emma Goldman Sherman, she, they, an award-winning playwright, feminist, and educator that engages in multiple levels to heal what our culture denies. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Fran. You know, I loved your recollection of your first memory of live theater, it was Peter Pan at the Philadelphia Playhouse at age five. This was a cathartic, life-changing event for you it to was. be able you know, to say to save Tinkerbell with collective applause. <laughs> Pessimism be damned. <laughs> this compelled you to confer healing and agency on audiences via the power of theater. So let's open our conversation with the optimism of that five-year-old child and how it continues to transcend the arc of your work from your recently acclaimed work, F-U-K-T, to Brave Space that supports and encourages the female voice to another visionary project, Grief Dialogues, that aims to erase the stigma surrounding dying, death, and grief. You know, we believe, as artists, we believe that out of art, comes understanding, compassion, and empathy for all involved in grief. So how does that steadfast belief continue to thrive despite these pessimistic times? Wow. Well, that's a big question. <laughs> that's a lot, a lot to take on. And how does it? What I love is the fact that what you said in your intro is that what you do makes change. And that is such an empowered feeling. 
And I fear that many people do not embrace that feeling enough. People are not living in their power. They're living in their fear, especially with the news cycle, especially with how it is constantly on in many people's homes and constantly reminding us all that we are potentially helpless. And that, I mean, if you have any trauma in your past at all, is a very, very real way to look at the world. Like, what could I possibly do? And to be hearing the news all the time can be really, really toxic for people and really destroy our sense of hope. And, and I think that you are absolutely right in saying that that is where the energy is. And that's where we will have agency and we will have power, but we cannot let the news cycle destroy it by taking us back, by triggering us, by trying to remind us of something that we could buy into in a minute. You know, I could, I could any minute listening to the news go, oh, wow, I'm overwhelmed. I can't. There's nothing I could do to stop this because that's a regular real reaction. And also to that point, Emma, I think what you're saying is so important because I think that's what's, what's happened around me. Just people who are not artists. And, you know, when I will say something about the news, about a shooting or, you know, what this person, they're like, I don't know. I don't listen to the news. And that's not going to get us anywhere. And that's how, as artists, we can say, don't be afraid. Take this journey, you know, with us. It's very difficult to listen to the news. So I understand the person who says, I don't listen to the news because the news can really send us reeling these days. But that doesn't mean that they still should be completely disconnected from public discourse or what's happening. Point taken by the midterms, which was supposed to be this red, red wave. And there are a lot of people out there who feel the kind of hope that I'm experiencing now. I actually feel hopeful. You know, and, and that's why I'm so glad that I have you here with me today. There was a conviction for attacking the, the Capitol. I mean, that, that's that's huge. This has never been done. But then the Capitol has never been attacked <laughs> before. Right, right. But last we spoke, I had this sense that you were living in a lot of fear and worry about what was going to happen. And I thought about that because I wasn't. Oh. And I thought, ooh, I feel, I feel like Fran needs my help. And I wasn't sure how to help or reach out. And I knew you had a lot of other things on your plate too. So, and, and I don't mean to get personal here, but there were a lot of people actually who were really, really worried and I don't blame them. But my father always taught me that worrying, he was like, why, why worry? When, if you have to pay that bill, it will come in the mail and you'll pay it. And that will be the situation. So I have somehow a way to be grounded enough and mindful enough to go, you know, it's not my job to worry about that. Because the news cycle and the terrible things that have been happening, that have happened, that will happen, I'm not going to manage all of that. So I have to do it in bite-sized pieces, Right, Because I grew up with a lot of trauma. I have a big history of trauma and not being able to access parts of myself. And if I 
am triggered, which I am less and less these days because I do a lot of work and it is possible to leave trauma behind, which is something that I find very, very exciting these days. We didn't know about these things 20 years ago, but because of neuroscience, because of you know all of the things that doctors have figured out about the human body and mind, we can heal. So, so we're not stuck being triggered, but I think it's really important to be in control of what we're taking in so that we don't feel that we have to worry, that we can feel like we can live in our power. We can do things as artists that will hopefully push the needle and change the culture and make people think more deeply about what they can do if they're not artists or even open the door to saying everyone can be an artist and everyone can be creative in responding to the current world that we're in, which is clearly in crisis, even if the midterms were not disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, With books being removed from libraries and, you know, everything that's going on. I want to go back to that empowered feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, addressing our fears. How do you personally channel that through your art? Well, I'll give you a recent example of something I did. I get these emails from friends of the earth and they're horrific headlines. Like there's one ripple, the orca just died. There are only 73 left and the shipping lanes and, and it'll mention different organizations or countries are destroying our whale population. And, and that actually tears me, me up. I go, oh, we just lost a whale. Like that's an enormous creature who does so much for the world. And so I sit down, I cannot always send them their $27. I get these emails every day. Like I would go broke if I sent them money every single time. So I sat down and I wrote about my own personal experiences with whales. I've been on whale watching expeditions. So I've seen whales up close and I made a poem about the whales and I will be working on that poem for, I don't know how long, but it makes me feel like I can do something. I read the poem to a friend and they gave me feedback and, you know, I'm working on the poem about the whales. That makes me feel better. It gives me a sense that, yeah, I can do something. Every time I get these awful things about the bees and the everything, the libraries being sent, the books being censored. I mean, every glaciers being melting, right? No place to go. Yeah. 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 So I can respond. And some of those responses get published. Some of those get produced. Some of them do affect other people, but mostly it helps me live with myself. Mm. and say, yeah, I did something today or yesterday that I feel really good about that might make a difference to a child, to a stranger reading this in a magazine or something. So that's, that's one way. How do we tap into that creative core that I think every human being has, because I believe that the arts are a supernatural gift. I believe that it is a spirit that each of us have as human beings. And if we could just light that and spark it in every single person, I really think we would not have 
these far right, far left, whatever you want to call them, extremists, they wouldn't get away with it. Right, because people could stand up to them on a regular basis and say, what? That makes no sense. But we don't have that because the culture is not trained to believe in ourselves at a very basic early childhood level. So listening to oneself and writing it down or, you know, mushing it into clay or making a painting of what you hear, what is rising up, what is held in our muscles or in our heart, those things, that exercise, right? Because it's a practice. It's an exercise of listening. What happens when I open the email and I'm upset? What am I feeling and what parts of me are activated and how can I let that into the world? So I have a practice of doing that. And, you know, that's what I teach in Brave Space is how do we listen to ourselves? How do we allow ourselves to hear deeply what is inside? Because what happens is it doesn't always make sense. And you may come in to a process. I'll just stick with the whales, right? And say, well, I want to write about the, the whales, but what comes out on the page is just what you are judging as awful and messy and makes no sense and blah, blah, blah. And that judgment kicks in very quickly. We are trained. We are living in a capitalist society. So everything that we do is supposed to have value and most poems, you know, you can't really assign monetary value to them or an essay that you don't know is, is an essay because it's just a paragraph of your frustration right now, right? So when we're generating something, we rarely know what it is. If we think we know what it is, we're probably wrong. It's yeah. probably going to go through multiple drafts until it becomes what it really wants to be in spite of us because we want to exert control because we want to feel like we have power. And so understanding how that process works is itself a difficulty because it's not explained in school. It's not, yeah. you know given to us early on so that we don't, we're not practiced in sitting with the discomfort of creation. I love that. We are not practiced in sitting in the discomfort of creation. Brilliant. Brave space. Where did that come from? Tell me more about this. So it, it literally came out of my play. I don't know if you, you don't want me to say the name of it, but it's spelled F-U-K-T. So when I wrote that in 2017, and if you think back to 2017 in particular in October, you can remember in the news cycle, there were quite a few women and men even, I believe, but at the time, mostly women who were speaking about very powerful figures in Hollywood who had sexually abused them. And nobody was believing the women. Of course, since that news cycle happened, so many others, I mean, Christine Blasey Ford among them, so I was listening to the news cycle, as I do, and it was incensing me. I was furious that no one was believing these women. Why anyone would speak up knowing, right, we live in this culture where nobody believes us. So my response was to write F-U-K-T, and I wrote it very fast. And within the first week of writing it, I made sure that I got it to the Dramatist Guild Foundation. We did a reading. There were people there because I thought if there are no witnesses, I'm going to hide this. 
So once I had witnesses, I couldn't hide it. Oh, I love that. Once you start to share it, it's like, okay, it's out there. Right? Yeah. So I very quickly shared a very messy, messy, terrible draft. And people said, oh my God, this is very important. Somehow you have done something that you probably shouldn't have done, but you did it. So, <laughs> so I, I immediately reached out to a director. We did a bigger, more public reading on Women's International Voices Day, International Women's Voices Day, which was in January of 2018, right around the time of the inauguration. Uh, no, no, that was the, no, it was yeah. 2018. So it wasn't the inauguration, but it was around the anniversary of the inauguration. And I used to do political evening of short plays responding to the inauguration since the 2016 inauguration. We did every January for a couple years. So that's why I'm thinking of that. We did something called the inauguration. Oh, I love it. Which was, we put out a call for short plays and had these responses to what was happening politically, because I think it's really important that people's voices get into the world. So I did a bunch of readings and developed F-U-K-T. It was just produced at the Tank for a short limited run, and we're working to find a producer to take it off Broadway. So the play specifically responds to why it's hard to tell your story, why we don't all speak up, and why we are stuck with our secrets inside us, which is very disempowering. And the play literally engages with the audience and asks the audience to tell their stories. And I now have, I don't know, a couple hundred post-its of people telling from the show. Share some of them. I want to hear some. Oh, well, let's see. Let's see. Where are they? So I will tell. Saying the words out loud was exactly what I needed. We all have these parts that need to be held. It's hard to read the script because it's all written in everyone's handwriting. One says solidarity for survivors. All the me's are fine. Thank you for asking. One is just full of hearts. One says be brave. One says I am strong. So I'm looking at these, right? One says pelvic floor therapy. Pelvic what? Pelvic floor therapy. Thank you for your bravery. I felt seen and heard. I have carried all the names within me. I couldn't say I will tell, but I will soon. Right. I mean, so these are people's responses. I will keep your work with me for a long time. Right. Constant chills. This one says, Constant. although I did forgive him, my father hurt me and my sisters. I mean, I have lots of them. They became part of the set and we will bring them back and bring this immersive part of the show back. And, and, you know, this is thartic in the sense that not only does it open up the throats and voices of your audience members, but seeing all the different colored post-it notes and using it as part of your set is truly uh, symbolic of the struggles that, women are experiencing. Yeah, women and men. We ran in the small theater at the tank next to the larger theater where they were doing a show about the Vatican and the cover-ups. Oh, and the pedophile. 
Yeah. And so that was a show with much larger cast and, you know, really dealing with a lot of men and their traumas. And some of them came to see our show too. It was really cathartic just even to be there with that show and, and the two of us, because it happens to everyone in some way that there is some trauma. It doesn't have to be as huge as what I went through as a child, but it, in some way we are asked to put a part of us, to put a part of ourselves aside to make it easier for a parent who is probably also struggling. But these little moments where we have to say, ooh, there's part of me that can't be me. I can't be me. I can't live in my wholeness if I'm going to be able to survive in this situation for whatever reason, could be someone is unwell, you know, there could be mental illness, there could be addiction and all of that is from their trauma. So it just goes on and on and on. And to be able to have compassion and to have compassion for the self, right? For what anyone personally is dealing with doesn't have to be a big thing, but if it's enough to keep your voice in your chest and hurting, that's enough. Like offer yourself compassion. So part, a big part of my healing was a self-compassion and is a self-compassion practice where I just notice, Ooh, whatever's coming up is painful and I'm suffering. That's suffering. And I'll call it out. Oh, I'm suffering. There in it. That's the hope. The hope is not in that you are suffering. The hope is that you have offered a means to have people facilitate that and and share it and acknowledge it. You know, as, as artists, we have a responsibility. It comes with all of this. You have another reason why I love the post-it notes becoming part of the set is there is a sense of sustainability. Okay, this is an ongoing process. It doesn't end at the end of the 90-minute play. This is an opportunity to open up. So where do you take it next? From that play, this is the answer actually to a question you asked ages ago, which is I created Brave Space, right? Because I thought if I'm telling, and if I had to write this on the subway because I was afraid to write it alone, Right? So I would write in the train. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel alone. How can I help other people not feel alone if they are going to write their story or write anything that they want to matter in the world? So I created Brave Space in 2019 as a Zoom offering. And it was way before anybody understood. And I had to wow. teach everyone. Yeah, it was before it. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's been since 2019, I've been running Brave Space, which is a Zoom offering. It's global. I've had people in India, people in Italy, France, all over and the West Coast and simultaneously like Colorado and India in the same Zoom room. And it's been so exciting. And what I do is it's not just show up and do your writing. We start with an embodiment practice that helps you be mindful. And not everybody can heal themselves through meditation. Like not everybody's gonna sign up to do 20 minutes a day or whatever. But in five minutes, we get mindful, we embody, we reach all of our 
parts of ourselves, we wake ourselves up so that we can fully embodied begin whatever art practice we are beginning. So some people are painting and some people are sculpting and most of them are writing, but they're writing all different kinds of things. And I have a salon for them to share. We don't share in, in regular brave space. We're writing. And so I help with the embodiment. I provide a prompt and I really sculpt the hour with support in the chat. And then people can reach me if they have a difficult moment they're writing about, and I will virtually hold their hand through it. And at the end of the hour, we discuss the process of what helped you, what let you go deeper, what was it that you did so that people can use these tools ongoing. And then I send an exit email that reiterates the things that helped, you know, and how that worked. Success stories. Let's talk about success stories. Success stories. Can you be more specific? Some of your favorite moments in time that you were able to embrace and say, I did that. Okay. Okay. So one of the first validating success stories was I wrote a play called Antigone's Sister. And this is about Ismene, who is the big sister of Antigone and her journey the play dealt with domestic violence in a pretty big way. And while I was doing the play, I was teaching at the University of Iowa and I had students and I had students who had orders of protection because of domestic violence situations against other students in my classes. So I had to have two different rooms to offer exams, et cetera, et cetera. So after the play, one woman who was dealing with this came up to me and she said that, her ex had seen the play on a different night and wrote her a note saying he would never bother her again, that the play had let him realize what he was doing. And, and she was fine after that. Like he, he left her alone. So, so that was pretty big. I thought, okay, I'm actually making a difference without, you know, necessarily specifically meaning to or being pedantic or preaching about it. It was just the story of Ismene and, and her domestic violence situation and what made her really refuse to help Antigone when Antigone asked for help because she is dealing with so much internal oppression. So that is one success. Just all of the responses to FUKT have been really wonderful, really exciting, and we really hope to move that forward. I also have a really beautiful podcast if people are interested in listening to a story of American Jews and Palestinian Muslims. It's called Abraham's Daughters, and it's at the Parsnip Ship. And I think you have that link. It has beautiful music, original music by Aya Aziz. And I felt really, really privileged to be able to work on that with her. Yeah, many, many things. Just like my students and my colleagues having their plays in the world. You know, I've done a lot of play development over the years for a lot of different people. Yeah, I got to work with you. I really miss that. I miss the the readings and the plays. That was before pandemic. And now we need to pick up the baton and take it to the next level. And you have certainly taken it to the next level. Emma, 
One last question before we leave. I'm just curious. What would you say to that five-year-old girl now? Hang on. (laughs) Hang on. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but you're going to be okay. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks, Emma. Uh, sharing your time with me. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And I wish you continued success and joy. Thanks so much, Brown. Thank you. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at Wheat Sheet Studio Productions.